0: Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada, supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the fam owned Foreman Pet Food Company, named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I was really surprised, actually disturbed, to see when I went to the big veterinary conference in Florida recently, that there was an entire booth for an organization that I thought was something very quiet and under the radar called Not One More Vet, and I discovered a whole booth and an executive director because not one more vet needs to die because of the strains and stresses of being a veterinarian. Darlene Boss, welcome to the show. I'm amazed that you have grown into an organization with an executive director and a big booth at a big veterinary conference, and everybody knows about you and is grateful for you being there what is the evolution of NOMV? I mean, I knew what a couple of years ago, it was sort of an online or social platform, kind of just a place that vets could go to each other for support. Was that how it
1: began? Yeah, um, thanks for having me, Tracy. Yeah, so Not One More Vet began in 2014. Uh, after the death of by suicide of Dr. Sophia Yin. Yes. And a group of veterinarians got together on Facebook um, and sort of created a community. Now, at this time, it was veterinarians, and I'll get to when we expanded to everyone. But um, they just got together for basically informal peer support to talk about the issues of mental health in the profession and to give one another comfort and support and provide resources the organization became a 501c3 nonprofit registered in the United States in 2017. And at that time uh, they expanded to include everyone in the veterinary field. So support staff, CSRs, vet techs, vet nurses, vet assistants, you name it. Right. um, Because they recognized that this issue of mental health and wellness was for everyone in the field and not just the doctors or the DMVs, DVMs. So, the other thing that happened in 2017 is they created a new pr- a resource program where they began to provide financial grants to individuals in crisis, and really? that was sort of wow. Yeah, and that was sort of our first um, program off Facebook, and that program still exists today. It's our resource program. In addition to providing micro grants, we also provide a number of different resources to people, getting them help. Through partners and getting them food resources, housing resources, et cetera. And that program helps um, about 400 people a year. And now and it's, a, it's quite large and is our most costly um, uh, program, but it's, it's really great. And I'm glad we're able to continue to expand that program. Um,
0: so, so, to the people listening who are consumers of veterinary care, they go to the vet clinic maybe to just to have their dog or cat's toenails clipped, or maybe they're at a specialty hospital uh, dealing with the challenges of cancer or other life-threatening diseases. Are you saying that there are, and probably many more than the 400 you were able to help, 400 veterinarians who who the strain and stress of being a vet or a vet tech or a, a vet nurse were so high that they could no longer function in their job and needed assistance for food and housing. They
1: basically had to step way back. So these, the individuals that are involved with the resource program are individuals that are struggling financially and about half of them are support staff, usually vet techs or vet assistants. um, And the other half are veterinarians. And yes, so there are a lot of financial struggles involved with being in the veterinary industry It involves a lot of expensive schooling and not very high rates of pay, especially when compared to human medicine. However, the costs of giving that care is just as high. An MRI machine costs just as much when you buy it to use it on dogs as it does when you buy it to use it on humans. Um, And so there are a lot of financial struggles in the industry, and it is one of the mental health issues. Those 400 individuals are just one subset of those that we help. So we have 35,000 veterinarians who are part of our peer support network and vet techs and vet assistants um, throughout the world. So we have a lot of people that are coming to us for help. We also have other programs that we do. We have um, another peer support program called Lifeboat, and we just started a mentally healthy workplace program called Clear Blueprint. So. When you add up all of the people that are coming to Namvi for help in one way or another, and you're talking about tens of thousands of individuals in the industry that are seeking support. So the mental health crisis is very real in this industry.
0: And I think it's something that people meeting with their vet for the first or umpteenth time just don't recognize. We are all so egocentric and concerned probably not so much for a wellness exam, but for any other reason we bring in a dog or a cat, that I don't think people who are the patients, the human patients of a veterinarian, recognize the kind of strain and struggle that vets are under in helping people make decisions in having the people, the owners of the pets, be in crisis about how to afford a lot of the care that they can't afford, and yet they love the animal. And so they're on the horns of a dilemma. And the vet is supposed to help with that emotional hurdle, as well as losing pets, losing pets to old age, disease, accidents. And the toll that each of those deaths takes on pets is something on the vets, I'm sorry, the death of each of those pets, is something that we as owners, I just don't think have ever selfishly been made aware of, were aware of. And I don't know if that comes through human medicine, where human doctors don't have, to, tend to have the kind of close, empathetic, interactive relationship that many of us do with our vets. They tend to be more at arm's length and more aloof, and that's probably part of their training. Do you think that not one more vet is something that has an arm that can reach out more? to the consumers of veterinary care to make us more mindful?
1: Yeah, we recently um, set up a pet parent page on our website. So our website is nomv.org. And when you go to the About section, there's a separate page that says Pet Parents. Okay. And that page is specifically for um, consumers of veterinary medicine to understand the struggles that they face. And we also deal with, you know, myths versus fact about what the veterinary, you know, medicine really is. And when you, you, all the things you talked about so articulately, you have to remember that's on top of the actual job, which is, that's right. And we've gone to school for eight to 10 to 12 years to learn the, to learn how to practice medicine on a variety of species. That's right. There's a lot going on there. Just the job itself is incredibly stressful and incredibly nuanced and complex and then you're adding on top of that all of these other emotional pieces because it's involving animals um so there there's a lot it's a lot piled on top of a lot right and i think we often forget how how long people go to school for for this Correct. how complex it is um we get stuck in well dr google says um so you're telling someone who went to school for eight years and learned about eight different species what dr google is telling you yes. and Believe me, arguing. they know better. Mm-hmm. They know better. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and so there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot on it that pet parents can do to support veterinary professionals and understand where they're coming from.
0: One also is not only that certain le- level, that low boil of disrespect for the training and experience and uh, carefully acquired opinions and knowledge of the vet. But I think society at large doesn't show a veterinary doctor the same respect, just like apparently dentists are not shown the same respect as human medical doctors. And there are issues about self-worth with that, whereas a veterinarian does study as long as many human doctors, and the board-certified ones, which means anyone who's gone to a veterinary internist, an oncologist, an orthopedist, a soft tissue surgeon, you had several more years of training, just like in human medicine. And yet society, and I hadn't really thought about this till I thought about the work that you were doing and how important it is and how ignorant we consumers of veterinary care are about it. There's this awful thing that people say to vets, I've never done it, but I've never noticed until this moment how rude and disrespectful it is. Someone says they're a veterinarian, and you say, oh, I always wanted to be one too. It's sort of like when I, I've been a writer all my life and worked in Hollywood for many years on film and television. And whenever somebody would say, oh, you're a writer, and it wouldn't matter how many published books you had, how many produced screenplays or television series – everybody, everybody says, oh, yeah, I wanted to write my story, too. I've just been too busy. So it's sort of like saying to a veterinarian, oh, yeah, I wanted to do that, but I just got busy doing something else. I love animals, too. Does that resonate
1: for you at all? Oh, oh, absolutely. And it's a great, it's a great comparison. Um, I think, you know, people don't say that to doctors. Correct. just, Just take everything you say to a veterinarian and imagine yourself saying it in a doctor's office. So imagine <laughs> saying to your, your orthopedic specialist. Yeah. Um, I have one of the best in the country. I cannot imagine going, Oh yeah, I've, I've always wanted to be an orthopedic specialist. I just don't have 12 years and a couple hundred thousand dollars to spare. You know, I mean, you just don't say things like that. Yeah. Um, and I, and I also want to point out that um, registered veterinary technicians, they're called different things in different states. In That's some right. states it's licensed, some states it's certified. They also went to school usually for two years, and they passed exams um, in every state that they've worked in. And in some cases, they've moved from state to state. They're passing board exams each time. And so um, they also are have a specialized skill just as a nurse does. That's right. And, you know, they, they have spent a lot of time um, learning their craft and learning their skill and also deserve respect for what they've done. And then I want to point out that the people who work at the front desk at a veterinary clinic are literally think of frontline soldiers. I mean, what they deal with every day, people who are panicked, um, people who are, are, are dealing with potential loss, people who are dealing with a financial burden. They didn't think they would have when they woke up that morning before something happened to their animal. Um, They are, they are almost counselors and You know troubleshooters and everything else you're right it is incredible what they go through every day um at that front desk and i every time i go in i see a front desk person i try to bring them candy a kind word a (laughs) note because what they go through every day at their job i i don't know how they do it
0: (laughs) you're absolutely right because in a sense they're nine one one When they pick up the phone in that office that's ringing off the hook, and in my, just in little old Vermont, in my vet clinic, there are four people manning phones. Four people are answering a multi-line phone. And you don't know if you pick it up if someone just wants some more interceptor refilled or someone just ran over their dog. What should they do? How soon can they bring it? So there is that adrenaline rush in a way for those people on the front line many of whom are vet techs, or in the case in my vet's office, one of them was a vet tech certified. And by the way, you didn't mention they also have to get continuing education credits, CEs. So it's not like it just ends when they pass the board, right? She couldn't take the stress of being in the exam rooms. And I never really understood that. So she's at the front desk, which isn't exactly a walk in the park, as you point out. But she's not in the room dealing with so much human emotion. And I think that's a big deal. I mean, I'm sure the vet techs feel very protective of the doctors that they work with and under. And if those doctors are dealing with a difficult patient, human patient, or a very difficult animal problem, the vet tech is a sponge for a lot of that, right? I mean, if empathy is one of the important things in the field, that you have it in order to want to be in the field, then you're feeling everything and feeling everything is really hard on the human
1: heart and soul, isn't it? It's exhausting. Absolutely. Yep. And the reason that we have chosen a, a peer support model is because peers understand one another. And that is why Not One More Vet is set up the way that it is, so that um, people who are working in the same industry can literally say, "I I know, I've been there. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, a person who, who hasn't really been there trying to relate. It's someone who really gets it and understands it. Um, and that's why we've set up the, the peer support model. And I think it really works to to provide emotional support and also to get people to resources when they need something more robust.
0: And I think you made a really good point when I when I met with you briefly, which was that when you say peer, a veterinarian in emotional distress, if that's the correct word, I don't know what's the right word, but needing to reach out, reaches out to another vet and a vet tech reaches out to another vet tech so that it is peer-to-peer because each of the demands of their jobs and the pitfalls of it are different. They're related, but they're different. And I think that's a a pretty brilliant model that you have. Clear blue, I saw the stamp of it or the emblem of it on the business card of Joseph Hahn, who's part of Merck, which is an amazing company. And he's very interested in the work you're doing, and he even has that emblem on his own business card. We don't have much time left, but in a few sentences, can you explain, Clear Blue?
1: Yes, I'm so glad you asked about it. Um, So we realized, Mm -hmm. as did Merck, that there was a missing component to all of this, which was having healthy workplaces. Yes. Um, If you spend enough time with people, you'll hear about toxic workplaces in veterinary medicine. And so uh, based on uh, their most recent well-being study, one of their biggest recommendations was uh, to have in-workplace wellness. And we created a program over the last two years uh, with a group of incredible people that included social workers and and mediators and wow. business owners and practice owners. And we did the R&D with the help of Merck, um, and they sponsored they sponsored a lot of that. Nice. And um, we created this program that we launched at VMX called Clear Blueprint. And it is a top-to-bottom healthy workplace where we actually go in and assess a workplace. We have confidential um, surveys that we give people in 10 different modules of mental health. Wow. And then we make a roadmap for that clinic and say, your clinic needs work in this area. So it's extremely individualized. And then we help the clinic to improve in those areas and then retake the test. And when they are uh, passing those tests and when their people are saying that they are happy and healthy, then we give them a certification, which is a green flag to say this is a place that is healthy to work at.
0: You know, that is perfect. And you've explained it so well. I wish we hadn't run out of time, Darlene. But the work you're doing is obviously essential, really important extremely unusual. And let's just hope that it brings more happiness and joy to vets and much less suffering. And we all need to be more aware of what not one more vet is doing. N-O-M-V like Victor, dot org to learn more. Thanks so much, Darlene Boss. Keep up the wonderful work. Thank you. Thank you for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support all of these companies because they stand behind my mission, which is to bring you delightfully informative Pet Talk Radio. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no-hide chews and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Weimaraner Maisie will eat. I'm very grateful also to Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two extraordinary women, Allison and Hannah, who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties too, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.